we turn our attention to the word of the Lord this morning, would you bow with me one more time for prayer? God, we come before you right now specifically asking, Lord, just as Ronnie prayed, Father, that your words would be my words. God, that you would push a foolish and incapable preacher out of your way. That your word would shine forth. That it would pierce us, God, to the bone, dividing bone and marrow, soul and spirit, because your word has the power to do that, Father, and my words have no power at all. So we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would anoint the teaching, the preaching, the proclamation of your holy word, that it would be effective to encourage us, to comfort us, but Lord, also to challenge us where we need to be challenged, to convict us where we need to be convicted, Lord, and to reveal to us our own blind spots. Father, we ask that you would move during this time. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of Jude. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one from the pew that is in front of you. And if you'll start from the back of the Bible, it's the easiest way to get to Jude. Uh, Jude is the last book before Revelation, which is the end of the New Testament and the end of the 66 book collection of the canon that is our Holy Bible. So we are going to be in the book of Jude this morning. So if you start from the back and work back one book, you'll be there with us in the book of Jude. Now Jude is one of those tricky books. There's no chapters in Jude. It is all just one letter. There's not enough material there to be divided into chapters. So don't let it freak you out when somebody says, if you look at Jude 24, they're just being, they're just being a wiseacre is what they're being because there are 25 verses here. So you could say Jude 24, but there's no chapter. So don't, don't worry about that. We're going to read the whole thing this week and next week. We're going to spend two weeks in this very rich and fruitful book written by one of Jesus's half-brothers. So as you find your place in the book of Jude, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word as we look together now at the book of Jude in its entirety, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. 
just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. They are shepherds feeding themselves. They're waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds and of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him these are grumblers malcontents following their own sinful desires they are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage but you must remember beloved The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this incredible book that is often overlooked or seldom preached, and we come to this because it is the authoritative word of God. It is a small book tucked right back in the end of the New Testament, but it is a mighty and powerful letter. The author of this book is Jude, who is the brother of James. Now, they're not talking about James and John, the apostles. They're not talking about the apostle who was James the Less. Can we just take a side note? If you got to be in Scripture, but your name was James the Less, are you excited because you're in Scripture, or are you disappointed because you're the Less? It's just a question I often wrestle with. I want you to think of it, okay? There's two apostles named James. There's James and his brother John, and then there's James the Less. 
So James makes it into Scripture, but he's the left. What do we do with that? I don't know. That's for you to think on. This is not their brother. This is the brother of James, who was a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. All right? James, the brother of Jesus. Jude is among the brothers of Jesus. He's among the people that were told over and over again in the Gospels, tried to stop their brother from declaring that he was the Son of God. They tried to get him to come home and stop spouting off all this crazy nonsense. But one of the most incredible testimonies to the reality of Jesus Christ, to the fact that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, is that not just one of his brothers, but multiple of his earthly brothers, the men with whom he shared a mom but not a dad, changed their minds completely. And became leaders in the early church. Do you know how you convince your brother that you are the son of God? You do that by rising from the dead. Up until that moment, these guys thought, there is no way. I grew up with this guy. He was my brother. I watched him be a goody two-shoes with our mom and dad. I watched him go through all of that he went through growing up in life. And he is just a carpenter. He is not the son of God. And then he won't shut up and he won't close his loud mouth. So they end up crucifying him. And so his brothers say, now our brother went and got himself killed. We've got to take care of Mama. He's the firstborn. We're supposed to look after Mama now and all the inheritance, what we do with everything, and he was supposed to look after it all. And then three days later, everything about their grumbling, their arguing, their complaining, their disbelief was shattered into nothing because the tomb couldn't hold the Son of God and the grave could not conquer our Savior. And they understood immediately that this, their brother, truly was and is and forever will be the Messiah. That's how you change your brother's mind, that you really are the Son of God. And so Jude and James become important leaders within the church. And look, even at verse 1, at verse 1 he has the authority and the ability to say, Jesus, my bro, hey, he's my brother, I grew up with him. You guys know me, and me and Jesus, we tight. We grew up, we, we spent a lot of time together, got the same mama. Is that how he introduces himself in the book? Not a chance. In humility, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. And won't even claim to be Jesus' brother. He says, I'm James's brother. I'll tell you that much. You know, James in the church of Jerusalem, I'm his brother. He considers himself a slave of his own brother, Jesus the Christ. This is how he introduces and sets the tone for all of the book. I love as he begins into this letter, as we get to verse 3, he calls out to the beloved, to the church. As this letter is circulating, he says, I was really eager to sit down and write to you guys about our common salvation. What happens in the book of Jude is you will see a lot of themes that you've already seen in the book of 2 Peter. Jude worked hand in hand with Peter to write 2 Peter. And so some of the themes will carry over from 2 Peter into the book of Jude and vice versa. Even the exact same phrases, the exact same words in Greek. And so what we have is we have Jude who is compelled to write to the church about their common salvation. But all that he did in writing and helping to write 2 Peter and assisting Peter in putting this letter together, all that he poured into that, he can't get it off of his mind. And there's so much trouble and turmoil and division and divisiveness within the church that he can't bring himself to pen a letter about our common salvation. The Holy Spirit compels him to write what we have here. He found it necessary to write appealing to you 
to contend for the faith, that which was once for all delivered to the saints. Do not miss that there was already an understanding of the canon of Scripture at this point in history. Jude is writing probably around year 60 to 65. After Jesus has died, Jesus dies about 33. It's been about 30 years, and he writes this letter. And when he puts that phrase in verse 3, that was once for all delivered to the saints, he is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that is already being transmitted orally. It's not written down because people are not very literate, but their memories are sharper than ours ever have been because they could remember mountains upon mountains of oral speech. They would be able to hear this sermon and know half of it when they walked out of the room. And so they're already sharing these letters by passing them along by word of mouth. The canon was already closed. There wasn't some council where people got together and said, you know what? All right, we're going to sit here and we're going to decide, yes, this is the canon and nothing else fits in. There was a council where they codified, they put together that the books that were already being used, that were already recognized as Scripture among all the church, they said, yes, this is Scripture. They were just clarifying what was already in use. It was not a collection of white men that sat together and deciphered for themselves what is and is not Scripture. They based it upon what the Holy Spirit had spoken and what was already being used among the church to be fruitful for rebuke, reproof, reproach, and training up in the gospel. So Jude says the gospel has already been delivered. The faith has already been delivered once for all to the saints. But then there are certain people who have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. These are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Don't miss the repetitive language with which Jude refers to his brother as Master and Lord. This is the kid that he grew up with that he is willing to call his Savior. Not his co-pilot, but his pilot. Not just the leader, but the King and the Master and the Lord. And he says that there are people that have crept in unnoticed and they deny Jesus. And church, that's been happening since the beginning of the early church. And it happens today. People creep in unnoticed. They slip into our midst and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And their, their whole desire is to cause dissension and division. Their whole desire is to make a mountain out of a molehill on every single issue imaginable. They take secondary and tertiary issues and make them primary. They make us divide over so many simple and idiotic things. It's ridiculous. And all along, these are people who are ungodly. Did you catch how often Jude says the word ungodly in reference to these people? They are evil. They have perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, I don't want to scare you. But I want you to take a look around this congregation. I want you to take a look around sanctuary right now. If your head's not moving left and right, then I know you're not paying attention. Move left and right. There you go. That's great. Fantastic. Looks like you're shaking your head no at me. Among the people you see here, there's probably at least one person that fits this description. 
There may have been more than one person that fits this description in Bethany's past. We've been around for 161 years now. People creep in all the time to cause division and divisiveness. It is only by the grace and mercy of God Almighty that this church has persevered and continued for 161 years because the enemy is constantly at work to overturn us from within. There's a reason why I sit down with everybody that wants to come and join the church because I want to try with all of my might to be a shepherd over a flock of sheep and defend us from the ravenous wolves that would sneak into our midst and diffuse, and diffuse a bomb before it is planted amongst us. The enemy is constantly at work around us. And if you don't believe it, then your head is buried in the sand. Look around There are troubles without and troubles within because people who are ungodly and have perverted the gospel want to come in and cause arguments and say, did God really say the epic line that is repeated throughout Scripture that Satan wants to twist the words of God? Did he really say? Does the Bible really teach? And the saddest part about all of this is this has been happening for 2,000 years and we are still susceptible to it. Folks, the most amazing thing about this to me is that we have more resources at our fingertips than any other time in human history. You can go online and find good, reputable, doctrinal resources that follow the apostolic teachings all the way down for 2,000 years online for free. You can look at what the reformers wrote in the medieval ages. You can look up all sorts of stuff for free. And that's not even getting into the resources that we could pay for. Oh, but pastor, I'm not much of a book reader. I can't really sit down and and read a book. I've just never been able to do that. Oh, it's funny you should say that because we have this incredible technology where you could just watch it on a video. They've never been able to do that. You can just listen to a sermon online. This sermon right now is probably either broadcasting to YouTube or it'll be available tomorrow. You can listen to it on our website. It'll probably be broadcast on the radio next week. All you got to do is turn on the radio in your car and you could probably hear a good Bible-believing, gospel-teaching preacher declaring the Word of God. And yet somehow we still allow the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God to be perverted amongst us. We're pulled away by Jehovah's Witnesses. We're pulled away by Mormons who market to us that they're the same as us when they are not. They are liars. They are deceivers. They don't worship the Jesus that we worship. They talk about Jesus becoming a God. And that's not what Scripture teaches. And you could do a Google search in five minutes and find that out. I have a whole playlist of YouTube videos that show you the truth of God's Word and how Mormonism does not line up to it. And I'm not a super intelligent scholar. I just went to YouTube and typed in biblical arguments against Mormonism. Boop! And then I looked for pastors that I know and trust. And there it was. And folks, our biblical literacy is at an all-time low. Picture this with me, okay? Picture this with me. For a thousand years... They didn't have the Bible in any language other than Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And the Catholic Church produced the Bible in Latin over and over and over again. People couldn't read. I'm talking about in the 90s percentile of illiteracy. So they can't read the Bible, and it's in Latin. So even if they can read, they've got to learn Latin to be able to read it, not in the language that they speak day to day. It wasn't until Martin Luther in the 1500s that Bibles started to be translated into colloquial, well, that's a tough word to say, into languages that we speak. 
All right? He translated it into German. 1500. A letter that was written in the 60s, not 1860s, 1760s, 1660s, 0060. That letter was not available in German until the 1500s. And people still believed, and people still got saved, and they passed on the Word of God, and they rooted out false teachers from among them because they trusted the teaching of the apostles as it was passed down and declared to them by word of mouth, and they memorized it and sat upon it and would listen to it all day and night and memorize the Word of God just from listening to it. We can listen to it. We can read it. We can watch it. We've got so many options that we don't do any of them. And in the midst of us, we have false teachers. And folks, I'm not talking about people that we agree with on the fact that Scripture is the inerrant Word of God and we have a different interpretation of what this Word means. We agree that this is God's perfect Word revealed to us, but we disagree on some of the methods of carrying it out. We believe in baptism, but we have brothers and sisters in Christ that believe you should baptize an infant, even though there's no account of that anywhere in Scripture, just to throw that out there. I love my Presbyterian and Methodist brothers and sisters, but every example we have in Scripture is somebody being dunked under the water and brought back up. I can still worship with, I can still work alongside Presbyterian believers, Methodist believers, Catholic believers that trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. We can agree to disagree on some of the finer details, but we have to get the gospel right. And false teachers will come in and tell us things that are not true. They will come in and tell us traditions that are not true. And folks, we let them. And we believe them. And we fall into the snares of their traps. But they are waves. And the foam of their shame is cast upon the beach. They are clouds that have no rain. That You just look up and you watch them cascade across the sky. Listen, even in the midst of all this that Jude is saying... He is declaring who Jesus is and the foundational principle that Jesus has to be Lord. Look with me at verse 5. I want to remind you, although you once knew it fully, that Jesus, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Folks, was Jesus born when all the people in Israel were brought out of the land of Egypt? Was Jesus born physically when that happened? The answer to that question is no. But Jesus has always been. Jesus and the Father are one. We serve a triune God, not three separate gods. One God made up of three persons, all three fully God, and all three together one. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it is true. We are not polytheists. But here in the New Testament, in such a subtle and simple way, in verse 5, we are reminded that it wasn't just God the big term, it was Jesus. Jesus was involved in freeing the Israelites from Egypt. That should blow our minds that our Lord and Savior was around and involved in the saving of the Israelites out of Egypt. And Jude just tosses it in casually as we continue along. These people rely on dreams. If you have a dream that is contrary to Scripture, I'm sorry, your dream is wrong. We have people who believe in the prosperity gospel that all that God wants for us is to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That is growing like wildfire in Central and South America and even in pockets across the United States. 
It's the fastest growing branch of Christianity in the United States. The prosperity gospel. I'm talking about your Joel Osteens. I'm talking about your Joyce Myers. I'm talking about your folks that are going to teach you that if you believe in Jesus, everything will go okay. That is a false gospel. I can't agree with people like that. I can't work alongside people like that. Because what do you do when people suffer and you've told them that they won't suffer if they just truly trust in Jesus? That's a first order issue. And we allow these people into our lives. When we do listen to the radio, we listen to those people because they're popular. We listen to the Kenneth Copelands. We listen to the televangelists. Folks, we have to root out the false teachers among us. Jude gives three examples from the Old Testament. He talks about Balaam. He talks about, um, he talks about Balaam. He talks about Cain. He talks about Enoch prophesying. He talks about Korah's rebellion. All of these three, Balaam, Korah's rebellion, and um, Cain, were greedy and prideful and believed a false gospel. They were in it for selfish gains, and they were rooted out by God himself. Folks, Jude encourages us to look without any prejudice against false teaching and cut it out of our church. And I just want to share one last passage with you before we wrap up this morning. You might think, Preacher, this is, this is great. I mean, that's, that's wonderful, watch out for false teachers, but, I mean, is it really that important to filter what I'm pouring into my soul? Look with me at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. The word of the Lord says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for all of us? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand Folks, our Lord and Savior is coming back. It's a reality. 
it's our responsibility to root out false teachers from among us, to defend the faith, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints because there is a day and an hour that our Savior is returning and we do not know. And then I just want to draw your attention to that very last verse. This is something that if you like Marvel or, or Spider-Man in any way has been hijacked from Scripture, okay? When you watch Spider-Man and you hear Uncle Ben look at Peter Parker and say, with great power comes great responsibility. I want you to know they hijacked that from Scripture, okay? That is God's truth. To those who have been given much, much will be required. Now, you might look at this verse and you might think, well, Pastor, I just don't have as much money as my neighbor. I, I, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I try to do my best with my money and, and give it to the Lord, and, and I've been given much, and I know much is required, so I do much with it. It's not just about our money. We have been given more resources, more translations of the Bible than any generation before us. You don't even have to study Shakespeare to understand the Bible. There was a time when all you had was a King James Version, and if you didn't know how to read Shakespeare, you didn't know how to read the King James Version of the Bible. It's beautiful, it's lovely, and I love it with all my heart, but at the same time, it was difficult for people to dive into. Now, not only do we have multiple accurate translations in everyday common language, we've even got like a Yo Jesus Version of the Bible. It's in street lingo, so if you don't know anything about anything, it's on a fifth grade reading level, and you can know the Gospel. We've got more translations than we know what to do with. And the problem is, we don't read them. We've been given much. And much is expected. So what are you doing with what God's given you? What am I doing with what God has given me? I've got resources at my fingertips to know false teaching and to root it out. To know the gospel to the depths of my being and to spread it. I've been given much. So much is expected of me. Am I living up to the expectation that God has for me? Well, Pastor, that's, that's great. How, how, do we, how do we root it out? What do we do? Be here. Show up and listen to your Sunday school teacher who has studied all week long to preach and teach to you good, faithful doctrine. Sign up for a disciple group and watch videos or do in-depth studies from trusted pastors and teachers. Be here to listen to your pastor who will teach you from this word and this word only. If you do nothing else, show up and listen. And as a church, we will spoon feed you the gospel. But you've got to open your mouth. And you can't spit it out. So much has been given to us as a church, as a congregation. Much is expected. How are you living up to the expectations you have based on the resources you've been given? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we live in a time where we have so many resources. God, thank you that we live in a time where we can understand the depth of your word, where we can look into cultural and historical backgrounds. Father, we can, we can study as much as we would like to study. We can know true and false teaching at the drop of a hat. But God, help us when we buy in to perversions of the gospel. Help us when we don't know how to defend our own faith. Lord, help us when we don't know how to contend for your word and the truth 
that it represents and its perfection and how you have revealed it to us. God calls us as a church together to devote ourselves to your teachings, to devote ourselves to your words, to being able to contend for the faith, to being able to root out false doctrine and still maintain unity as a church, to not be divided by those that would tear us apart. Lord, we love you so very much. We thank you for your word and the truth that is found in it. God, we ask that during this time of response that you would move, that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts, and that we would respond in obedience to your word as it has been preached. Whether that be someone to say, I need to come down and pray, Lord, whether you move on somebody's heart to come and request to join the church, Father, whether you move on somebody's heart to give up a false gospel they've been chasing and to believe in you for the first time. God, however your spirit moves, may we respond in obedience as we sing. We ask these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.